Hi, this is George Denholm. And this is Dustin Weber. Welcome to the 5 by 2 podcast, where each week we discuss Christian discipleship. We hope that you'll find this episode interesting and informative, but also challenging as you strive to grow in your discipleship to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. For this episode, we're going to be talking with Ike Doherty, who is the Church Council Chair here at St. Peter's, as we discuss being Christian in business. So Ike, first of all, thank you for taking the time to, to join us today. Can you just get us started off by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks guys for having me on. I appreciate it. This is, this will be interesting. I am the, I, I was commenting earlier, I'm the second door on this podcast as my son was on it back in December time frame. And you've listened to every episode since then. I cannot lie. I have not listened to every episode since then, but but I've listened to several. So I've, I'm a longtime member of St. Peter's. Peter's. Moved here to Columbus when I was in first grade. Had Miss Streetlemeyer, for those that, that know St. Peter's well. She was a long, long mainstay teacher here. Grew up here in the Lutheran Church. Had Pastor Tyke basically my whole way through. And now I'm back here in Columbus, Indiana after college in, in Michigan. Hillsdale College in Michigan, and uh, back here work for Cummins. One thing that you didn't bring into your history is you were the Pharaoh. Can, can we go to the next question, George? <laughs> no, <laughs> you got to answer that question. I know it wasn't like what you would consider prime time, but you did an excellent job for a junior high young man. I think it was, was it sixth grade? I believe I was, it was. I was sixth grade. We had a musical, so to speak, here here at St. Peter's when I was in sixth grade, and I think Kathy Peters was the kind of choreographer behind it, and I got cast as Pharaoh. And so that experience on the stage led you to go into business. <laughs> uh, let, let's just say the the being Pharaoh was my first and last casting call is in, in a play. But getting in front of large crowds, I mean, at, at a young age, that, that does get you start to get you acclimated to speaking in front of people large groups of people it's always a good experience to get up there on stage and and get those butterflies out when you're not in a majorly critical position but when you're learning yep and everyone gave you guys a break because you were very cute as sixth graders but uh i don't know if i was on that list george <laughs> all right uh, i tell us about some of the things you're doing now at st peter's so I, I am a chair of the church council. I've been on church council. This was my fourth year. This is my second year as chair. Been in real blessing, honestly. It's, it's been a blessing then that I've been trusted to be church council chair and voted by the congregation. It's a lot. It, it is a lot. It's interesting to see what all goes on in the church and what makes it go round and some of the key decisions that not only the council has to wrestle with, but operations board and the senior leaders, as well as the ministry leaders and, and the teams. It's it's a very dynamic organization. And you mentioned your son, Sawyer. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? I am married. I've been married for 13 years to my lovely wife, Allison. Her last name's Dunphy. And then my, I have four children, Sawyer, who is 12. He will be going into seventh grade here at St. Peter's. I have twins, Sophia and Kellen. They're 10. They'll be going into fifth grade here at St. Peter's. And then our blessing child, Zane, Mr. Wildman, he will be in kindergarten here at St. Peter's next year. Wow, it's hard to believe Zane's going to be in kindergarten. Yeah, this is like his second home. As you both know, Allison's in here all the time volunteering and doing all kinds of stuff. So it'll be interesting for him to... uh, have some structure to his visits to St. Peter's now instead of being able to roam the, the halls. Yeah, how will he do with structure in the classroom? I know Zane's kind of got his own plan of what goes on. He, it, believe it or not, he went to St. Paul last year for preschool, and he's very mild in the classroom, so very well behaved, and which was a surprise to both Allison and I. But I think he'll, I think he'll do all right. He may try to sneak some candy for Miss Molly every now and again. 
I, I can imagine. I can imagine that. Well, I have to say, your your family is always a huge help for, with Night of Praise. But Zane, yeah, man, he just he steps in and he's he's helping and carrying stuff, and he's right there helping out. So yeah, it's just your whole family is helping out. But it's always cool to see Zane just jump right in, and he's how can I help? So it, it's awesome. And I know you've worked real hard on that, getting your kids to to jump in and volunteer, and that's one thing. Uh, that that I've noticed, and I try to I try to compliment kids as well as their parents when I see them doing that because that's how we get kids to participate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I saw Dan Linup had his son mm-hmm. taking the collection with him and being an usher, and so we brought that up in a couple episodes here. That's the best way for parents to encourage your kids to get connected to the church is just to have them do stuff. It is, it is, and that, that that's one of the things that Allison and I, and, and Allison's really driven this from the start is, you know, no man left behind is, is her kind of mentality, and it's, if you see somebody doing something, you get up and you help. So it's it's a constant pitch-in where, where every, it's all hands on deck to, to get the goal accomplished and to get it done right. And one of the things I can share right here, it's amazing that, that with that concept, we have gatherings, meetings, or or uh, even uh, Sunday school classes. If one person just starts picking up chairs, those chairs get picked up in five minutes. Mm-hmm. If we have to wait for the custodian to do it, it's going to take him forty five minutes by himself. Mm-hmm. But everyone just picking up one two chairs and it's done. I I agree that that, that mentality. I mean, it, and it it will play out longer term in life. I mean, my parents raised me very similarly. I, you can see it, my Sawyer and Kellen and Sophie, when Sunday school's over. They'll come down and pitch in and help pick up in the old gym and pick up the chairs from from that Sunday school class. So it's it's pretty awesome to see. Well, we'll get into this later on, but I'm sure that kind of willingness to jump in will also benefit them and other experiences at work and school mm-hmm. just to have that ability to say, hey, what can I do? You are well received. I hope so. I, I, I hope I hope it pays off. The they, they got a long runway still, George. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to start them someplace, and, and it does take them a while. Everyone, you know, like you said, you, Zane surprised you that he likes to structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they you, they'll surprise you. They'll grow into fine young people because they got great parents leading them. I can I can get really distracted here. And, well, I, I was gonna say I I, I want to change the topic just real quick because you brought this up before before we started a recording here, and I haven't heard this is about his uh, Ike's pro football career here so i want to i want to hear about this i uh i in high school i played well here at st peter's played basketball all the way through i had the opportunity to go columbus east high school and play varsity football basketball for four years there high school sports was phenomenal here in columbus when i went through it's i think it still is but then uh had the opportunity to go to hillsdale college in michigan Played four years uh, football there. Was that with a football scholarship? It was, yes, sir. And I started as a tight end, which was my normal, typical high school weight, which is about 6'6", 230, 240. Sophomore year comes around, and coach looks at me, and he goes, hey, we need a left tackle. And so I was about 250 reporting into camp. And even at a Division two level, you're going against guys. It's it's the same size guys you see on Saturdays playing playing major college football. So I had to beef up really quick. Before I knew it, I was about 280 at the end of my sophomore year. By the sophomore time, year of college. Sophomore year of college. Okay. And by the time I graduated, I, my playing weight was about 320. I had a couple workouts professionally. Um, nothing really panned out from that. But I, I had uh, the opportunity to play arena football for, in Fort Wayne for the Fort Wayne Freedom for a year. It is tough. It is tough. Your uh, arena football, you're not on the same salary or paycheck as is what you see in in the NFL. So you still had a job, and then you're driving up. I was driving, living here at home, driving up to Fort Wayne twice a week during the middle of the week, 
to practice and then going up on the weekends to play and traveling all over the Midwest. Just decided that I think myself and God probably had a, had a, he did have a place in this where he basically said enough's enough, right? Time, time to, time to put your big boy pants on, stop chasing a dream and, and go out and get a job of a good, good paying job and, um, build, build up your, your resume and start looking for a wife. And so that that's kind of how that that played out. I'm thankful for the opportunities I had, but I'm I'm not part of that that one percent group, I guess that the, the plays plays sports a long time for a living. Now I could easily bridge in here because you made the comment about getting a job, and that's what we're going to be talking about later on. But there's one more thing, and I think it's it's an important thing that that like you made an active decision recently to get healthier. Yes, because you didn't want to keep that 320 weight for the rest of your life. You know, just tell us just a little bit about that. I, I made a decision. It's probably been it's been two years ago. I had a manager at work that that was very influential in my wife. Christian man, Lutheran man. They're they're members at Calvary up in Indianapolis. Chris Hyatt was his name. He's got a wonderful wife and two two awesome kids, young kids. He was diagnosed with uh, ocular melanoma. That's probably been four years ago, and uh, there's there's not much of a cure for it's it's a rapid developing cancer, and as he was going through that, it was like right during COVID. And so my health status, I'm, I was used to being in the office, walking around in the plant and, and different buildings and talking and getting exercise just naturally. And he, uh, just during COVID, it's like, what, what, what do you do, right? You sit at your desk, you got nothing else to do. You're trapped there for 10, 12 hours because you don't have anything else to do besides work. Because you're scared, you were scared at that point to go out and get sick, um, based upon what you're seeing in the news. I just got really unhealthy really quick, and it was it was one of those times where I I was like I look when he passed, I told my wife I was like I'm going to go back, I'm going to go see the doctor, I need to need to figure this out, and he's doctor looked at me, he's like you got a couple choices you got to make, and I made the decision right then and there that. The lifestyle that I was leading at that time was not the the proper lifestyle for me, nor was it a good example to my kids. I made a commitment to start eating better, working out daily. It's it it can be an addiction that that within itself can be an addiction. But but I was able to drop close to about a hundred pounds and and feeling a whole lot better. And and my kids are now more active. Zane he comes down like. He's the first one up. I, I go downstairs at about five, five thirty in the morning, and he gets up about six, and he comes down and he watches me work out or does some push-ups and stuff like that. So it's it's translating, right? Kids do see what their parents do, and they do try to emulate it. Zane will be working out during night of praise over on the side, man. He's throwing in some push-ups, wall sits. Like it's yeah, it's awesome. You said that a lot of what you think about and how you do your business was influenced by your team leader, mm-hmm. uh, Chris. Was it Chris Hyatt? Yes, sir. Um, and so that kind of brings us into our topic about being a Christian in business. And there's a lot of times that we we kind of think about corporations as being the evil things, mm-hmm. and and you know sometimes Cummins take some hits for some of the decisions they made among some of the the more conservative churches. Can you just uh, speak to that? What did Chris do at work that showed you that he was a Christian, and yet also that he was still a valuable asset of a business team? I, I think first and foremost, it, it was caring. He he truly emulated somebody that that cared. And and you knew it came from the heart. You you can 
generally you can point out someone that is interested in you as a person and wants to invest in you versus someone who's just talking the talk. And Chris truly exhibited that through and through. And it was really refreshing to me. I had been at Cummins for, I just had my 15th year, so about 10 years, close to 10 years. And I had yet to really see that at Cummins. Just in a, I, I think that's probably natural at any any company. Cummins is, is large. But he truly wanted to invest in you as a person. And, and the more you got to know him, and the more, it's like peeling an onion back, right? I mean, it's, it is hard in the business world to come out and just talk religion, right? I, th- I think there's, when, when you're in business, you don't, politics, religion, and, and there's a few others that, that you just don't bring up and you, you try to avoid most of the time. But once you got to know him and once he got to know you and your background and your value of family, like he really portrayed his, his love for his family, his respect for family time, and truly his faith. His faith walk was very important to him. A lot of our one-on-ones from a manager-employee perspective, the last like 15 minutes was like just about how's the family? How are you doing in Bible study? Are you actively engaged in one? And he's like, I read this Bible verse last last night. He's like, I think it plays out in that conflict you're having with so-and-so. And it was just so dynamic and so refreshing. I That's... That's how he and I bonded very, very closely. So religion in business, it's there. You got to look for it. Like, you got to keep your eyes open. Yeah, I know there's a, a lot of great folks from St. Peter's that I know personally that are they're working for Cummins and other business fields where they're trying to make that impact. So with Chris kind of leading that for you, how have you tried to live out your faith as a businessman? I've, I've started to become more transparent in my beliefs, my role here within the congregation here at St. Peter's. I document the time that I spend here at St. Peter's and we've got, we track hours that we, that we volunteer within the community. And I, I track that. I track that here, what I, what I do here at St. Peter's and, and the time I spend. And, and really it's how I treat people. You don't have to be a bully in business. And I, I think that's what, where people, they'll try to step on people to get, get somewhere. You can be a rock star in the business world and show kindness, show caring, and and show the heart of God to people. And and a lot of it is as hard as it is. There's a lot of grace that you have to show people. There's a ton of grace that that has to be shown. You made me smile a little bit before because when you reported hours, there's probably been some times when you reported hours and your and your immediate supervisor would probably like turn their head and go, "You put in how many hours during budget week at St. Peter's?" <laughs> so it was about two years ago. Chris, two, two and a half years ago, Chris was still still with us. And um, and I remember having to have a conversation with him because there, there were times when I was in St. Peter's or in meetings here at St. Peter's more than I was during the day, more than I would be in the office. Now, that, that doesn't mean I was still working 60 hours a week at Cummins, but I would do it off off peak hours. And he he's like, yeah, he's like, you've got a you've got a lot ahead of you there at St. Peter's, so you got to do what you need to do. And he's like, as long as you keep the ball rolling with the things you got, you're all right. Now, and you mentioned the 60 hours. Like, How do you balance work and family and your volunteering here at St. Peter's? <sighs> Not well. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's – and I, I think regardless if you're like you and Dustin, right, you both log in an incredible amount of hours here at St. Peter's. 
I mean, Dustin maybe more than me, but but I don't. I wouldn't say that, George. You guys work weird hours, right? From from a from a corporate view, you guys work almost every day, right? You you may say you're going to take off. I'll take off a Friday, right? Your your days off may be Friday, Saturday. Well, I know that you're in here, George, or you're offsite doing something with somebody, mentoring somebody. Somebody called you. You're talking with them. Dustin's in here on Saturday for a whole day setting up night of praise. Then he's here till nine o'clock at night, making sure everything's torn down. Then back in here on a Sunday, right? And that, that doesn't count the through the week planning. But for me, I get up early to the bane of my wife's existence. So I, I get up early. I do my workout because that, that, that's the one thing for me that kind of clears my head. And before I do that, I, I check emails on my phone. I'm constantly... You guys can see my two phones in front of me. I'm constantly on my work phone, re- returning emails, reading emails. And then from there, it's I get the kids off to school, typically during the year. And then it's I'll be in the office 7.30, and I'll be there till 5. And then 5 o'clock at our household, it's dinner time, right? So there's usually a text message waiting for me about 4 o'clock saying, when will you be home? So she can make sure the kids are ready, everything's ready. So then after dinner, we can rush around to kids' activities. So we're really big on family dinners, which I think is key for a cohesive family unit, right? I, I, whether you have a great conversation at the dinner table or not, it does not matter. It, does, it, it is being as one unit, family unit, and sitting there and eating dinner together, breaking bread. And then after that, until about 8 o'clock, we're running around, taking kids' to activities, and then I'm usually back on my laptop by 9 o'clock till about 11. And it's rinse and repeat. Yikes, that's so many hours of sleep then. I get about six, six and a half. Is that your best functioning time? Have you figured that out? It is. Like I fig- if, if I sleep too much, like on the weekends, my guilty pleasure is to sleep from about 11 till about 8 o'clock. And I find that I am grumpier and not with it if, I'm, if I sleep that long. I've, I've, I like my schedule and my routine. And if I get out of it, it's it's not good for me nor the family or anybody else. I know she'd never come on because she's very humble, but I, I'm sure that marrying up has helped you greatly in your <laughs> in your endeavors to be a great father. I certainly did marry up. The story George George knows this story. When I was dating my wife, unbeknownst to me, there was a time time span of about two and a half three years. I fell away from the church where I wasn't attending regularly, it was about 22 to 25. It's probably about that time frame. I fell away from the church and came back out of shame, honestly, because she found out where I was going to church, where I was a member, and she started coming without me. And people were asking, well, who who are you? Who? And she's like, oh, my name's Allison. She's like, I, I know Ike Doherty. And it word got back to me. You're, you're, you're going to make, make me a, a good man before this is all said and done. So she's, uh, she, I did marry up, George. Well, and you can't call her an evil genius, but she's a subtle genius in that oh, then, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I think some, something that really stuck out to me is like the your priorities, right? Like you prioritize things. And I think the other thing is the intentionality. Like you talked about the family meal. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is it seems like it's the intentionality is the big part because I also think, you know, ideally, yes, it's at a table. But I think that kind of dynamic of being intentional with one another, maybe sometimes it's in the car. But like you can still, even if it's, you know, fast food, drive through, whatever, or just, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on, on the road to the next sporting events mm-hmm. or other extracurricular activity. 
I think as long as there's that intentionality within it, that you're still together as that family unit, I think is the the important part there. I I would agree with that. Well, and the other thing you said was taking the time with kids. You cannot guarantee that when you give them that minute that they're going to be ready for it. You know, there'll be a lot of meals you probably have next to no conversation because the kids aren't in the mood to talk. But if you don't have a regular time, they'll never talk. And so, you know, you endure three meals where they say nothing so that you have that one meal where you can really impact them hard. Yep. And in that in that that one meal that you may get a week where you have one child that may need or want something and you don't know it, but then it comes they may hang around a little bit longer at the dinner table and you can have that really impactful conversation and try to see what's really weighing on their heart. And I'm finding that out. Sawyer's very, he's, he's not emotional, but he's, he's sensitive. He, he can be very sensitive. And, and I mean that in a positive way, right? He's, he's very in touch with his emotions. And so right now is a very big moment for him. I think junior high, I'm finding out six, I, I can't remember back when I was growing up, but sixth to eighth grade, I think is going to be a very dynamic time for him. And he'll have a lot of questions. And, and a lot of emotions running through his head. And I, I don't know how I'm going to relate to my daughter, but she will find a way. Now you've set up that time and you've set up the, the, the position that you're open to talk to them. And that's huge. That as they come with they may not talk to you very often, but they know they can. Yes. You've set up that opportunity for them. And I guess I can tie this back to our original thing. It sounds like that's what your team leader did for you. He set up time for you. He invested in you. You may not have always wanted to talk to him, but he was ready for it. Always. Is that something you're trying to emulate now? Are you looking for, for folks in your team to mentor the way that you were mentored? There's there, there's quite a few, yes. So I, I've um, as I've started to grow through the company, there are more and more people reading reaching out to me, wanting me to mentor them, wanting advice. And so it's, it's taking that, that same type of approach and saying, feel free, like, feel free to set up time with me. I was like, I, I will make myself available. I like to meet in person. And so I, I, I really wanted people to know when you look at somebody across the table, you can, that's much more powerful than over the phone or via Zoom. And so I'm, I'm trying to take that time and invest in others. I think everybody deserves your best, right? Everyone deserves your best at all times. And you've got to put that foot forward. And then it gives me a chance to, for them to understand me and where I came from and, and my authenticity. So that's what I want to get across to, to a lot of people is, Hey, I am who I am. And, and while I may not come out the first time I meet somebody, I say, hey, I'm a Christian. Where, where do you go to church? Or do you go to church? No, it's, you don't have to be that, that forward. You, you can, sh- how you act and treat others. And if you treat others how you want to be treated and, and how you would perceive God would want you to treat them, I think they, everybody understands. I, I think that your action and how you treat others is much more powerful than you coming out and saying, Hey, I'm a Christian. Are you? And I, and I think that's where religion. I'm, I'm going to get a little little deep on this one. I I think that's where on on the religion side where people don't like it forced. It shouldn't be forced. It shouldn't be pushed down someone's throat. I I feel that if you show it your heart, that people will then open up and be like, Wow, that guy is awesome. Like, what what what's he do? 
how how does he have that patience? How does he get through the day knowing that X, Y, and Z is coming? And and why is he so kind? And then that opens that door, right? It opens that door for you to have an impactful conversation. Because I, I think that's where it, it goes wrong is is I think as Christians within work within the workplace. We try to say, yep, I'm a Christian. We raise our hand and we, we can we can do that. But then if they see you acting the opposite way, and and that gives the wrong wrong connotation to what, what a Christian truly is. And I think far too many times that's that's happened, and I think that's why people get jaded with, with the religion and are are a little standoffish with it. Excellent advice. You know, I think we were going to ask you somewhere where you would give advice to to other business people, and I think we just heard it. And so I'm going to turn it over to Dustin because I know Dustin's sitting listening to your yeah, what you've shared with us, and he's got some great points as we wrap up here. Yeah, I don't know about great points, but uh, definitely like was as you're talking, just made me think about as we talk. We've talked before on the, the podcast about relational mission, and that's exactly kind of you were just talking mm-hmm. about. It's it's more about how do we build relationships with people and start to learn their story. And like you said, to show that you care and genuinely want to get to know someone that it's not, we can't treat people like they're projects because people are not projects. People are people that you yep. genuinely care and want to get to know them and get to know their story. And then what happens a lot of times to your point is as you start to learn their story, they're like, well, they're going to start asking you about your story. Mm-hmm. And then it's in your story where you can share the times where God has impacted you or, you know, has worked in your life and it's, you're not forcing it or anything. Like it just becomes natural. Like I'm sharing my story. This is, this is how Jesus has, has changed my life, transformed my life or impacted my life, whatever it may be. Yeah. So I just think that's your point of just building that relationship and, and yes, are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But trying to, our best to continue to, to follow Jesus and to, to live out our faith and to have people around you, right? Find those people that, as we talk about the, the vision 28 of have that compelling community around you, people that can encourage you, hold you accountable. All those things is, is so important. But yeah, like I said, I, I just can't agree you know, more with what you were saying about how you just build a relationship with people and then the way that the those opportunities that God can open that door within that to be able to to share the gospel just through how God has impacted you or to be able to then as you grow more even more in that relationship with somebody to speak the gospel to their story or to their circumstance so yeah just really really good stuff George any I guess closing thoughts well you know we were joking earlier about we waited till episode 41 to have Ike in here and obviously it was an episode that was pack with information we're gonna have to have you back for another episode so when we do episode 82 you just be ready for it (laughs) i'll I'll be ready well i seriously thank you for taking the time no you're a busy man so um we thank you for taking the time to be with us and uh to our listeners we hope that you continue to to join in and and listen in as we continue these discipleship discussions and yeah just hear the different guests that we have have come in because i've said this before and i think george agrees that it really it's it's all about the guests that we have that, that make the podcast so so thank you now go out and serve god and others 